Thanks, Judy. Well, Easter has come and Easter has gone. Still a few Easter eggs in uh, in my vicinity that I'm continuing to uh, to polish off bit by bit. Uh, I think the hot cross buns are all uh, polished off. Uh, I don't know about your your home and your your um, kind of a situation in those spaces, but uh, Easter is such a focal point in the Christian calendar. It's such a significant focus. It, it's, there's a real high around the Easter season and, and the lead up to Easter. Of course, the, the season of, um, of, of, of sometimes often known as Lent, preparing for Easter. Uh, and this is, this is rightfully so because the Easter time is central to the good news of Jesus and Christianity. But what lies beyond Easter though? After the hot cross buns, after the Easter eggs... But more significantly, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Such an extraordinary event that shapes our lives and shapes the course of history. What lies beyond Easter? God God at work in the extraordinary, certainly at Easter. But God is also at work in the ordinary aspects of life. On the road of life, so to speak. And in 1 Corinthians, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of how Jesus made many different appearances after that first Easter Sunday morning. And we focused last week on Easter Sunday morning on, uh, on, on Mary at the tomb and the significance of, uh, of Jesus' resurrection. But uh, what does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And, and uh, then it goes on to say, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, most of whom are st- who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What, what do we know about these appearances of Jesus beyond that first Easter Sunday morning? We focus so much on, and rightly so, as I said, on, on, the, on the Easter Sunday morning. But Jesus appeared to many others beyond that in the, in the hours and the days following that. And that's what we're going to focus on over, this week, over these next few weeks beyond Easter, encountering Jesus beyond Easter. What, what, uh, in what ways can we encounter Jesus? In the ord- in, in, uh, not just in the extraordinary, but in the ordinary. Because these encounters that the first followers of Jesus ha- had with him were at a range of places. They were at the beach. They were on the road. They were in a locked room. But it's not just these physical places that Jesus meets people at, but where, what they represent. Jesus meeting people at the place of fear, meeting people at the place of doubt, meeting people at the place of failure, and today, meeting people at the place of being downcast. Two followers of Jesus, as Stephen read to us, one named, one not named, Cleopas, uh, uh, and, uh, and 
Mr. or Mrs. or Miss No Name. We, we don't know their, their name. But they encounter Jesus as they walk along the road to Emmaus. What kind of a place were these followers of Jesus at? It's described. Luke describes it for us in verse 17 where it says, they stood, they stood still, their faces downcast. When Jesus asked them, when Jesus came alongside them and said, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It tells us they stood still, their faces downcast. Have you ever been at the place of being downcast? We probably all have at times, if we're honest. Even as followers of Jesus, we, we can... We can be at the place of being downcast out of different aspects of life and faith in this broken world that we live in. And if you have been or if you are at the place of being downcast, it's something that followers of Jesus right through the Bible experienced. It, it's, uh, it's there in the Psalms as well as here, Psalm 42 and uh, 43. Let me um, read you a few verses from there. The psalm writer says in Psalm 42, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And then uh, go, goes on to, uh, to say again, just to emphasise, verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And as if uh, we don't get the point, in the very next psalm, Psalm 43, says again, verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? So right from the psalm writers and uh, right through here, to disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, there's a sense of being at the place of being downcast. So let's take a closer look. How did these followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus encounter Jesus at that place? And what does that mean for us still today? Well, the first question I want to ask is, am I recognising the presence of Jesus? Even and especially at the place of being downcast. Am I recognising the presence of Jesus even at the place of being downcast. I had a fascinating experience that I'd never experienced before. Last month we visited Tasmania and um, visited our, our daughter there and as, as part of that um, we went back to uh, the church that I pastored at uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago in Tasmania and visited there and uh, connected in with the people that we knew there which was uh, terrific. But the next day on the Monday, Michelle and I were uh, at a little town about 20 minutes away uh, from, uh, from, from this um, church and uh, we were sitting in a cafe uh, and then just couldn't help but be aware of the people sitting on the very next table to us. And why could we not help but be aware? Because they were talking about David Sterry. <laughs> They were discussing my visit the day before to, to this church. Now, I didn't know these people from a bar of soap. It was 15 or 20 years on, and I know people change, but I like to think I'm pretty good with, with, with knowing people and knowing people's names, and I'd never seen these people in my life. And they obviously didn't recognise me. I was sitting at the very next table to them, and it was, a, it was a weird feeling, especially just listening to this conversation. And I was very tempted to stand up and introduce myself. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I discretion got the better of me. And I, I, we, we decided we didn't do that. But we listened in and we heard all kinds of things. About, <laughs> heard all kinds of things about people we knew well. And uh, we heard all kinds of things about people I knew very well myself. <laughs> 
and I was described in various ways, and hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Being the subject of conversation when I was just alongside them and they had no idea. What must it have been like for Jesus here as he came alongside these first followers on the road to Emmaus? They're talking about him, but they didn't have any idea that it was him right there with them. At the place of being downcast, they didn't recognise the presence of Jesus. That can happen to us too, though. We may not always recognise the presence of Jesus when we're at the place of being downcast. Our circumstances, our concerns, if we're not careful, they can easily cloud our perspective. They can cause us to, rec- to not recognise that Jesus is present with us, even at those places of being downcast. As, as uh, Jesus reminds us in, in his last words on this earth, uh, before going back to heaven uh, at the ascension, uh, Matthew 28, the end of Matthew, verse 20, uh, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And physically, uh, literally, but also symbolically, the ends of the earth is each and every place that you find yourself at. I am with you always. Even when you may not be able to see or feel Jesus's, the presence of Jesus with you, even if you may not feel like you hear his voice, Jesus walks with us. Where do we need to go, though? when we can't recognise the presence of Jesus with us, to what God says in the Bible. That's what Jesus reminded these first followers of him of. In verse 27, as they were having conversations, they were describing all about Jesus of Nazareth, who was walking with them. And he says to them in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory And then what does it say in verse 27? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He pointed them when they didn't recognize, he just could have said, it's me. But he pointed them to the scriptures. And he pointed them to to, to what it said in the the scriptures. That's what we need reminding of too. When When we don't sense God's presence, when we don't feel God's presence, when we wonder, where are you, God, and, and don't feel like we're hearing his voice, we need to come back to and hold on to what God says about his presence. He, and it's there in the, in, in the scriptures over and over again, even when we lose sight of that. But there's a fascinating little, um, uh, little statement here. It says that they were kept from recognising Jesus. They were kept from recognising Jesus in verse 16. And you might ask, why? Why? Why, why on earth? Why, why would they be kept from recognising Jesus? Why, were they, why were, would they be kept until a later point from recognising Jesus' presence? Now, we don't really know. But what we do know from the Bible over and over again is that the timing of God's work is often different to ours. We want things to happen here and now. We want things to happen sooner rather than later. But God's work in our lives and the process and, and uh, spiritual growth is a process. It's not just one-off points. It's not just now, instant. No, it's, it's a process shaped through every part of our lives. The parts we understand and the parts we don't understand. The good parts and the not-so-good parts. And even when we can't recognise God, God is still at work. And God is still someone that we can have our hope in. 
the psalm writer, alongside being downcast in, in Psalm 42 that I read to you earlier, Psalm 42 verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? But the second part of, of that verse then says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Are you recognising the presence of God with you? And whether, and, and whether you are or you aren't, come back to what God says in, in the Bible and hold on to that. The second question today arising out of uh, the experiences of these first followers of Jesus is, are my hopes being realised? Are my hopes being realised? Verse 21, what does it say here? And, and again, it's a fascinating little statement. When they're describing to Jesus what had happened, in verse 21 they said, but we had hoped. But we had hoped what? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These first followers of Jesus were in a situation where their hopes and their expectations had not been realised of what they expected Jesus to be and to do. Is that because Jesus didn't deliver on something that he promised? No. It's because their hopes and their expectations reflected more of their own way of thinking than God's. But let's not be too quick to, uh, to, to point the finger at them, though, because we can easily be exactly the same. What I, wonder, what I wonder have you hoped for in life or in faith that in reality hasn't turned out as you hoped for? It could be hopes for your life. It could be hopes for your family life or the lives of your children. It could be hopes for your health, hopes for your work or retirement or, or, or something else. Life and its brokenness means that all too often our hopes and expectations aren't realised as we would hope for. Sometimes that's because of the nature of living life in this broken world, but sometimes, our ex- sometimes it's because our expectations around what we expect God to be and to do aren't realised because they aren't the right ones in the first place. That was the case with these first followers of Jesus. When they said, this is what they said about Jesus, they said, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, what did they mean by that? Their idea of what Jesus the Redeemer would be and do was quite different to who Jesus really was and what he would do as the Redeemer. A true hope in Jesus will never let us down. But a misplaced hope, like expecting Jesus to fulfil our every want, or expecting Jesus to make all our problems go away, or expecting Jesus to protect us from suffering in this life, is a misplaced hope. It is is not biblical hope at all, but it comes out of our own agendas rather than what the Bible teaches. Jesus is indeed the Redeemer, but he's the Redeemer in God's way and in God's time, not our way and our time. One third and final question today. Are you ready and willing to invite Jesus to stay with you? The disciples, these first followers, they still hadn't recognised that it was Jesus, but in verse 28 to 29, there's this uh, fascinating uh, little extra development in, in their conversation and their walk. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Jesus continued on as if you were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They hadn't yet realised that this was Jesus, 
but they were inviting him to stay with them. And when you stay with someone, what happens? Well, in my experience at least, when you stay with someone, you get to know them in a greater way. You get, to, uh, you, you, you get to spend more time with them. You get to understand uh, more about them. And, and um, that's the nature of staying with someone. It was only as these disciples on the road to Emmaus invited Jesus to stay with them that the penny really dropped as to who Jesus was. And when they had their aha moment, when, when they uh, shared a meal with Jesus, it describes that they broke bread together. And aha, it's Jesus. And they got to know him like never before. But we need to understand that Jesus didn't press himself on them. Jesus could have said, I want to stay with you. But uh, uh, he he waited for them to invite him, it seems. He he waits for an invitation. And Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, says uh, uh, says that very same thing, where Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I stand at the door and knock. To invite Jesus to stay with us is to invite him to be a part of our lives, is to invite him to to reveal more of himself to us, to invite him to be a part of every part of our life, not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday, on a Saturday, and every day in between to be a part of our, uh, our, our, our work life, to be a part of our home life, to be a part of our recreational life, to be a part of uh, every aspect of our lives. To learn from and listen to Jesus when it comes to each area of life and to truly allow Jesus to be Lord of our life, not just our Saviour. That's what it means to truly invite Jesus to stay with us. Jesus meets you and I. Even today, right where we're at, on the road of life and faith beyond Easter. He meets us even in the place of being downcast. He creates opportunities for us to grow in understanding more of who he is and what he calls us to. Creates opportunities for us to become more aware of who he really is and what he's like and his purposes for our lives. He's still doing that, just like he did with these first followers of Jesus. And he invites us. He invites us to allow him to be an, a part of our lives, not just in, in the parts that, uh, that we choose, but in every aspect of them. So let's pray together as uh, we just uh, uh, draw uh, this uh, reflection to a, pr- to a close. Lord God, we thank you so much.